Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everyone, welcome to Seeking Witchcraft. It's me, your host, Ashley, and today I'm joined by my co-host and working partner, Azazel. Hey everyone. Today's episode will be the part two of the previously recorded Coven episode, where we'll go in-depth into the different types of groups you may see listed on a website or anywhere if you're looking to join a Coven. This episode is also sponsored by both HelloFresh and Uncommon Goods, so you'll hear some information about them later within the episode. We're also going to give a little bit more information later about how to access a coven if you need some help with that. So the first thing we should do is have Azazel reintroduce himself to the listeners if they are not sure who he is. So Azazel, please introduce yourself. Hello again, everyone. As you may have heard me and multiple other times (laughs) on this podcast, I'm Azazel. As As Ashley mentioned, I'm her working partner. We have been running a group together for about a year now. And I have been an initiate of the Wicca for a couple years now, but I've been practicing. I was practicing solitary for a little bit longer, for about like nine years. And so I have a little bit of experience doing a bit of both. And um, yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for reintroducing yourself, Azazel, Feast of Torches podcast host. Uh, yes, yes, <laughs> I do run that thing. <laughs> Eventually, I'll get back into it. Yes, Azazel also runs a podcast. Uh, But anyway, let's go ahead and jump right into the topic. So uh, the first thing we're going to talk about, some of the different types of covens. There's eclectic, there's traditional. um, And I I guess let's talk about this concept of initiation versus self-initiation. Yeah, I mean, with self-initiation, it can definitely be something that can be rewarding for yourself. However, when taking upon initiation, if we think about like what initiation is, Typically, it's it's a person that's being brought into something. So when we talk about initiation and, and like what exactly that means, it's you're being brought into a set of practices, um, whether that be a tradition, whether that be more of a, a familial thing. Um, usually in family practices, there isn't technically an initiation as you're kind of born into it. However, when you're working by yourself, there is an aspect of a spiritual initiation, um, an initiation of the spirits, but that's not necessarily the same thing as an initiation to a tradition. And while initiation to a tradition may include an aspect of a spiritual initiation, it is also you being brought into the practices, the traditions of a certain group. And so there is a there is definitely a a different a difference in the two. Um, I usually like to consider when you're starting your practice and, you know, this is something you're doing solitary. It is more of a self-dedication. That's something that you can do because you're committing yourself to your gods, to your practice. And it's not necessarily the same thing as initiation. It's not any less or or more than initiation. I think a lot of people put a lot of um, value into what like initiation means. Well, there is definitely value in it. It's equal in different ways. And there shouldn't be a level of, I guess, importance or validity derived from whether you're an initiate or not. Yeah, so initiation doesn't necessarily make you a perfect witch either. 
So it's, it's honestly just comes down to your own commitment and, and the type of things that you want to learn and, and put that energy towards. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that every sort of coven or tradition requires an initiation. There are a couple that you can join and it is more of a, you know, they can still teach you these things. Initiation tends to be more of a go-to for most groups, but it's not necessarily necessary for some. So it's not just because you're doing a coven doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be an initiation ritual. A lot of times it could be a little bit more relaxed. And when you're seeking your coven, you know, there is, it really depends on what kind of coven you're looking for. Because it, nece- it doesn't necessarily mean that just because you joined a coven that they are going to be training you. There are specific covens that will train you, but there are also a lot of covens that just want to meet with other experienced witches or practitioners. And they all get together and they may have a fundamental goal that they want to work towards, whether that be, you know, you know let's honor the full moon every, full, every month or, you know, let's honor the Sabbaths. That's the only time they get together or there's a specific working that they want to do. Um, and there are also other covens in, you know, as we have talked about many, many times, like Gardnerian and, and Alexandrian and, and all these other things that, you know, they are fundamentally at its core, a training kind of mentality where they bringing you into the tradition. They're bringing you into their specific practices and training you in the way that they do things. So it really kind of, when you're looking for a coven, it really depends on what exactly you're looking to get out of, to get out of it. Yeah, it's also important to note that being part of a tradition or a coven doesn't equal the type of witch you are. Uh, I mean, you can use the term in the sense of like, hey, I have been initiated as an Alexandrian, so I'm an Alexandrian witch. But that doesn't mean that you're limited by that label. That doesn't mean that you don't engage in other maybe traditions or that there's other areas of witchcraft that you're interested in. I And I only bring this up because I see a lot of people who, especially when they're first starting out in their journey really wanting to pigeonhole themselves in these labels of I'm a sea witch, I'm a kitchen witch, I'm a green witch, I'm a this witch. And that can be a little limiting at times, I think. For some people, it can be empowering. And if that's the case for you, that's, you know, completely valid and fine. But I just want to mention that being part of a coven doesn't mean that, or part of a tradition, or both, doesn't mean that you have to only be that one type of witch. You can be whatever you want to be, you know, as long as you get the proper credentials and validation for it (laughs) but uh uh it doesn't mean that that's the only type of witchcraft or magical practice that you can have because that's definitely not the case yeah and definitely like even with even if you join a group like i know there are plenty of uh garnerian groups that they'll get together and they'll all learn a specific thing together you know whether that be more geared towards ceremonial magic or whether that be more geared towards like a folk magic thing that none of them really may know about but they're all you know, going to that specific kind of practice and learning that together, even though they're all Gardnerian and they're all focusing and, and working within that structure, it's kind of an understanding of how can we use this, like the basis of this practice to do other things as well. It's not always so one-sided. And I think a lot of people get confused as, you know, Wicca being one thing. Yeah. So I guess let's get kind of into the more specific. So different types of covens and traditions. So I guess we'll start with the one that you guys hear about all the time, which is the Gardnerians, which Azazel and myself are, which you probably know by now as I get a lot of messages from people talking about being Gardnerians. <laughs> uh, so I'm just going to give a very short, you know, introduction into what this is. Um, so this was brought into 
the light you can say by gerald gardner it's obviously named gardnerian so it sounds like it's named after him i would like to make this very clear that we do not worship gerald gardner as a prophet that's not what this is the term gardnerian was actually uh it was i forgot who do you remember who said it it was robert cochran he was kind of making fun of gerald gardner and his gardnerians over there yeah yeah he was using it as like a a dig at people who practice this or who are involved in this tradition and we kind of just took it and we're like huh okay and we just ran with it and so it's not a dig anymore well i mean hopefully it shouldn't be uh but yeah so gardnerian so the way a gardnerian group grow goes is that there's typically some sort of outer court in america that's not always the case everywhere because gardner and wicca is all over the world and so typically this is not for everybody but just typically there's about a year and a day of an outer court practice in the sense of you join a group and you practice with them and there could be ritual. There might not be ritual. There's probably some sort of ritual training or general occult witchcraft Wicca 101 type training. And it's run by high priest and high priestess. So after your high priest and high priestess or HP and HPS offer you initiation and agree to it. There are three degrees, first, second, and third. It's really the basis of all Wicca today. You might recognize some names like Doreen Valiente or Trisha Crowther. They're all related into this. They're some of like the big, big names in Gardnerian Wicca. As you know, it is an oath-bound tradition, so there's not a lot that could be said about it. What that means is that all of the members take an oath to keep secret the secrets of the tradition and the practices. So there's a lot of things I can't really say about it, but it is a sky cloud practice, meaning that groups practice ritual nudity. And if this is your first time ever hearing about the word sky cloud or this, there is an episode I have called Naked Under the Moon, which talks a little bit more about this type of practice and explains it. I will say when I got involved in my outer court, I was like, no way in hell am I ever going to do that. That's crazy. Um, and well, here I am now a third degree in my priestess. So, um, yeah, it's been a wild ride, but I absolutely love it and, um, wouldn't change anything. I guess Gardnerian it's, you know, I think it really depends on whether you're doing inner court or outer court. A lot of the core of those types of introductory training type things is mostly focused on building that bond with each other and making sure that, um, everyone is comfortable around each other and, and building that trust. And so yet yeah, sometimes there's an outer court, sometimes there's not, as long as there's that goal to essentially build that trust with each other, build that understanding of who we are as people. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you may meet a group and they may not be the best fit for you, but there are a plethora of other covens and traditions and, and things that you can follow. So just because, you know, you may meet with one group and, they may have certain views or they may be, you know, not necessarily your vibe or whatever. That doesn't necessarily mean that either the tradition is wrong for you or that you haven't really found your place yet. Now, aside from Gardnerian, there's also Alexandrian, uh, which is another aspect of BTW, which is British traditional witchcraft. So a lot of times you're talking about like OG Wicca. It's usually uh, Gardnerian and Alexandrian. Those are the essentially the foundations of what we have for Wicca today. And Alexandrian is slightly a little bit different than, than Gardnerian. We are a sister tradition. But there is some variations depending on the coven. Like that's, I, I want to say most of them practice ritual nudity, but not all of them. It really depends on the group. There are a lot of uh, Garden, Alexandrian groups that I've heard of that 
also practice robed. And so, you know, if ritual nudity is a thing that you aren't 100% comfortable with, it doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't an avenue of Wicca out there for you. Yeah, and one thing I just want to add about the sky cloth thing is, yes, I know for a, a layperson or somebody for hearing about this for the first time, it sounds absolutely, or it could sound absolutely crazy. Um, I've heard this term that people who don't practice ritual nudity won't understand why it's done. Um, and I was like, that sounds kind of elitist. But, <laughs> you know, at now as somebody who has done it myself, I'm like, oh, you know what? I actually can see where this is coming from. It's not meant to sound in a, in a negative light or anything like that. When I joined my outer court, as I said, I made it very, well, I made it very clear at the time to my outer court that I was just there for the free education. I am lucky as hell they didn't just kick me out right then and there. But um, I just wanted to learn more about Wicca witchcraft. And I was like, oh, I want to do spells with some witches. That sounds fun. And I had no idea what Gardnerian was. I knew Skyclad was a thing, but I was like, I'm not getting initiated. I'm just here for the education. And, you know, it's really hard to say no when you don't actually know the people that you'd be training with. And after about a year and a day of getting to know the people that I was with and my high priest and high priestess and my OC mates and, you know, the people in the coven and things like that, I, I really built up this trust with these people that was unlike, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but all I'll say is that when I got to the end of my training, it was a lot harder to not consider it. And then, you know, when it came down to it, obviously I went through with it because I realized that my desire to want to learn more about the tradition, you know, overcame my fear of virtual nudity. And now I don't, I don't even think about it. (laughs) I do a circle. It's kind of crazy. (laughs) Like it's not even a thought in my mind. So, um, Anyway, that, that's all I'll say about that. If you are interested in some Skypod discussions, uh, again, check out Naked Under the Moon. It's an episode I did previously. For me, it's it's always, I guess, interesting to hear, I guess, that aspect of it. Um, I personally never, I never really had an issue with it. I was more of just like, let's just do the witchcraft. I don't really care. I'll get naked. I don't really, I, like, I really don't care. And so when I hear about, you know, I, I obviously I understand that, it can definitely be a difficult thing. And I noticed a lot of my coven siblings did kind of struggle with it for a little bit. But I think once we, you know, spent that time together and really built that bond and and that trust with each other and kind of having this understanding that like, you know, no one's there to really, like no one's there to hurt you. And it's having an understanding of a trust in yourself and your own body and a love for yourself and your own body and I've definitely I've had my own body issues over the, you know, over my lifetime. And it, I would say it definitely helped me, you know, deal with some of the the issues that I have with, with, you know, certain body issues that I have. And yeah, it, uh, with the whole skyclad thing, again, you know, it's, it's again, it's not always for everybody. And there are avenues, like I was saying before, into Wicca that don't necessarily require that. So again, it's not always for everybody. So don't feel obligated to do one specific thing just because you want to learn about Wicca. Uh, so as we talked about Alexandrian, there's also another variation of ETW craft, uh, CVW, which is Central Valley Wicca. I would say it's a little bit more of a mysterious history than Alexandrian or Gardnerian. It kind of popped out of the blue, but as far as I know, they are you know, very similar. I don't, obviously I'm not part of that tradition, so I don't know the fundamental 
four things about it because even though we are all a BTW, we all kind of have the same sort of same or similar origins, and we all are orthodox traditions, and we may share similar practices. It doesn't necessarily mean we always share things openly between each other, and there are some things that we have an understanding of, but there are also some things that we keep precious and secret within each other. So in Oathbound traditions, we do keep a lot of things separated from each other. And because we do have our own specific practices, otherwise we would all just be one giant conglomerate, right? And with CBW as well, I know that they are also have that kind of options within the coven, the decision of practicing Skyclad or not, um, as far as I know. Now, there are a couple other traditions that are BTW adjacent and have also have very similar practices to the things that we do. However, there's a little bit more of a tangled history with these, as many of you have may know, and I'm sure plenty of people complain about online, that Joe Gardner wasn't necessarily the most open to people outside of himself or like him. When I say that, I mean specifically a lot of the LGBT community wasn't very accepted um, for quite a number of years and decades, especially during the beginning of when a lot of the traditions were coming in. There are definitely certain people here and there that were fundamental into changing that mindset of how the tradition functioned and understanding, having a gaining a deeper understanding of our tradition, I think has given us a better understanding of the people and not being so, I guess, restrictive to the people that have been allowed to enter into the, into the tradition. Because there was a certain point in time where, you know, I specifically wouldn't be able to join a Gardnerian coven. I don't know necessarily that, that might have been because of my race. I don't know for sure because I don't know them as people. They never. I don't think that's something that was ever really discussed. Um, however, I do know that in the beginnings of the tradition, I most likely would have not been allowed to join a coven because of the fact that I'm bisexual. And having that interest in the same gender, again, you have to think about the times. These were not great times for LGBT people in general. You know, the early 50s and moving into the 60s and 70s, things may have gotten better over time. However, it still wasn't great every everywhere. And so eventually came a, an initiate named Eddie Bazinski. And he was a part of the Gardnerian tradition. He definitely had a rough time, so to speak, uh, within the tradition when people started finding out that he was gay and, and a high priest. Now, why, now, in the year 2022, we have more than a plethora of gay high priests within the tradition. And among other traditions, I would say probably gay high priests make up the majority of high priests in the tradition, at least as far as I've seen, there has definitely been a big influx of people of non-cis heteronormativity kind of joining into witchcraft, especially within the last couple of decades. And with Eddie, he was kind of one of those, you know, he was in it for the witchcraft. He was in it, like he didn't really care who or what you were. And so he wanted to explore those mysteries of, you know, what it is to be a, a gay man and also a gay woman. Obviously, he wasn't the one exploring the ones being a gay woman, but uh, he did start the Minoan Brotherhood. And with Lady Rhea, uh, she started the, uh, the Minoan Sisterhood, and they started this kind of as a group unit. And I believe there is a point in which they kind of meet together 
after kind of bringing in those, you know, having that basis understanding of what it is to be a gay man or gay woman in those mysteries that they were trying to understand, there was also the the cult of Rhea, uh, which coincidentally was not named after Lady Rhea herself. It was referring to Rhea, the goddess who bore Zeus. It's very focused on Greek or the traditions of Crete um, and obviously being Minoan. And it is kind of the bringing together of the two traditions and having that understanding of, you know, there's still that aspect of polarity. Now, while that may not necessarily be a male and female thing, it is kind of just an understanding of the other that still needs to be kind of understood. And so, yeah, so there's a little bit about the Minoan tradition. Eddie also started two other traditions. Um, There's the New York Wicca tradition, which is, again, very similar to the practices that in Gardneri and Alexandrian in the way that they do things, they, as far as I know, it is still kind of viewed as its own separate tradition. And while these things were kind of born out of a necessity for a time where certain people weren't accepted into certain groups, for the most part now, you know, as the years went on, they've kind of developed into their own thing. And so New York Wicca was an option for gay and, and bisexual and, and lesbian and even, I believe, some trans, or to, you know, to join a Wiccan tradition that was rooted in history, that was, that it's to kind of have that background and that validity um, without the baggage that Gardnerian and Alexandrian kind of held at that time. And that was a, a great resource for a lot of people at that time. And there's also the Welsh tradition, uh, which I talked a little bit about on my podcast with a friend of mine. And he... It is most commonly known as the Welsh tradition. I'm going to butcher this name. I believe he called it Gwydanade. And I don't know terribly too much about the Welsh tradition, to be honest with you. I know it focuses a lot of on a lot of uh, Welsh deities and folk practices from that aspect while also bringing into it the, you know, the traditional BTW kind of understanding of how we practice witchcraft and ritual. Uh, I may be completely wrong about that. Definitely check out that episode and see what uh, our friend says about it on that aspect of it. So yeah, if you want to check out that episode... Uh, on my podcast, Piece of Torches, it was uh, all about worship and understanding the different mentalities behind worship. That was with Eric and Alex, um, Alex being the one that is a part of the Welsh tradition. And kind of our different understandings of, as high priests, what we've understood within our different practices, as Eric was also a um, a practitioner of traditional witchcraft uh, for quite a while. We've kind of all had this, you know, coming together and, and understanding of know how we view worship and stuff so if you want to check out that that episode definitely definitely do that great so the next one that we're going to talk about is dianic wicca so i want to preface this by saying that this one and the next ones that i'll be talking about i am not a part of this tradition i have never petitioned to be part of these traditions i honestly don't even think they have any of these around me (laughs) that i know of so what the explanation i'm going to give for these keep in mind i'm not a member of this things might have changed by the time this episode is posted so this is just kind of like a quick bio that i have seen about these online that i've read a little bit about so if these are of interest to you please be sure to look a little bit more into them uh, do some deeper research on your end uh, as i'm not an expert in these types of traditions. So with that disclaimer being said, the first one is Dianic. Uh, you can check out their website at templeofdiana.org. Um, so this was founded, and I am sorry if I butcher this name, by Zuzana Budapest. And Dianic Wigga embraces the goddess, but it spends 
only a small amount of time on her male counterpart. It's really just goddess focused. Most Dianic Wiccan covens are female only, but I have heard that a few have allowed some men into their group. That being said, the founder of this type of tradition I've heard doesn't necessarily view trans people in the best light. So proceed to your own caution. And with that, there was also a second branch of Dianic found or created called the McFarland Dianic tradition. And this was named for the founder, Morgan McFarlane. And this was one of the first Dianic groups to allow members who are not assigned female at birth. They do have a website. It's McFarlandianic.org. McFarlane Dianic circles say that they do not exclude trans individuals of either gender, although only female members can be elevated to the level of priesthood and the admission of male members is on a case-by-case basis and left to the discretion of the circle's high priestess. And that's just something I found on this learnreligions.com website, uh, a little bit about Dianic. So again, this is not (laughs) completely my forte, but from what I've heard, Dianic Covens, the short version of it is there's two different forms. There's the one by Susanna Budatest and the one that's the McFarlane. The McFarlane is more inclusive of trans folk. And that's just something to keep in mind. It is mostly a goddess form of worship. And yeah, proceed at your own your own uh, discretion. <laughs> so that's a little bit about Dianic. Another tradition that um, I've heard a lot about that also has a lot of ties to early British traditional witchcraft history would be the horses tradition. Now this tradition was started by Sybil Leek. She was a very prevalent, prevalent figure in the early craft days of you know the 60s, 70s. And she, her being an English witch who came to America and kind of just was very vocal about being a witch. And she had a little jackdaw whose name I'm blanking on right now. Uh, but she you know, go, would go on TV shows and do interviews. And she had this little bird just on her shoulder and it followed around. And it was it's very interesting to watch interviews with her. Uh, she is a fascinating person. There, She wrote a plethora of books and, again, started the horse tradition. And the horse tradition does consider themselves to be Wicca, as Sibylique says that she was brought up in the New Forest area, an area where essentially we know that uh, Gardner claims to have started with his tradition, his init- his initiators um, in the New Forest Coven. And so they do have kind of have that same foundation. So yeah, if you want to learn more about the horse tradition, there are a plethora of resources online. There's a thing that's active really uh, right now, and uh, I believe it's just called the Horses Tradition, which is at the Horses Tradition. And there's a plethora of information on there about, you know, learning more about the tradition. Um, Matt, one of the high priests that I know in the in the tradition, he's he's pretty you know, gung-ho about making sure that his tradition survives. And they're doing, as far as I know, they're, they're doing great over down in Philly, where that's, I believe that's the main area where the tradition is, is active. And I'm sure there's probably other areas. But, but yeah, if you're interested in learning more about that, definitely check out Sibylique and look at more into the horseshead tradition. Cool. So the next one is Blue Star. So Blue Star has a website, which is bluestarfoundation.org. So this is also an initiatory-based coven, and they're known for their emphasis on community service, using music and ritual, the importance of ritual feasts, which, like, that should be important for everybody, (laughs) using the septagram instead of a pentagram. So this is the star that has the seven points, and it's based on seven tenets of faith of balance that they follow. And I've also heard that they're known for having an initiatory tattoo, 
I have, I think the last blue star person I spoke to, they said that wasn't as, I don't know, required, but I don't know. I, I've heard that a lot of people in blue star have, or get this initiatory tattoo. So heads up about that. The stereotype of blue star is that it's a very like academic slash homework heavy tradition, meaning you'll get assignments. You have a lot of books to read, which, you know, as Azel and I do that for our OC as well. Well, I don't think we force them to read a book because we had so much other stuff going on. Surprisingly, no. Surprisingly, no. Only because we had essentially a little boot camp going on for our students. But uh, I've heard that Blue Star is very, very heavy with their assignments. It's not just like, oh, write a little thing of what you thought about this. It's like, write a seven page paper about blah, 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 you know, for example. So um, heads up. For some people, that is their preference, especially when it comes to the occult. But just know that Blue Star is known to be a very academic, heavy tradition. They do follow the Wheel of the Year, and they have two Grove degrees, which is interesting, and three Coven degrees. So it goes Dedicant, Neophyte, First, Second, Third. I'm really interested in how they do their Grove degrees. Uh, I, I don't know. That's That's an interesting concept. It's not for me, but... It was interesting when I read about it. I was like, okay. So yeah, it's a little bit about Blue Star. As I mentioned, they have a website again, that's bluestarfoundation.org. Yeah, and that kind of reminds me of um, <clears throat> when I was growing up, um, I went to high school down in Georgia and I had a little high school coven and you know we would do the Sabbaths and stuff. And while I've, um, one of one of the girls in, in my group, um, we got really close and she eventually, um, I ended up being the godfather to her child. Uh, when I went to go visit her a couple years ago, um, her and her her husband kind of got into a, something called the unicorn tradition, and it was very similar to that. To I guess how you were describing Blue Star, how they had you know a lot of assignments and and it was very like academic heavy. And I remember at this point, I think when I went to go visit them, I want to say it was maybe a second degree, and we. I get to, I remember getting to their house and she's like, yeah, you know, we've been doing this thing. It's been great. We were kind of doing it in Texas and, and we, and we joined a group over here or they were, they started in, they started in Georgia and then they continued in Texas. And then when, when they went back to Georgia, they, they kind of uh, continued with their, with their studies with that. And they showed me this book and all of the assignments that they were doing. And I was like, mind boggled. <laughs> it's like, I didn't have to do any of this. And I'm like, what are you doing? But like, it was so like, I guess that that way of training for me was so wild, but you know she seemed to have definitely loved it, enjoyed it, and and gotten a lot out of it. I think a lot of people there are a lot of people that need more of a structured training in in doing that, and a lot of people learn a lot better in that kind of school type mentality. So I mean, there's options out there for everybody. It really depends on you. Really have to find your your niche and and what you're interested in and, and also take into account, you know, how it is that you learn and not everybody learns the same. Yeah. I, that's one of the things I love about our tradition is that it's also structured. It's not so academic heavy, <laughs> but again, each group, it, each group varies on how they um, train their leadership style, things like that. But I do enjoy the Gardnerian tradition because it is structured. And I was finishing up grad school when I joined my outer court. So it was very easy for me to transition from one type of academia into kind of another version of it. It's not the best word, but it was, it was, it wasn't super dissimilar. And I like that a lot. That being said, if I was asked to write a very large paper on top of the thesis I was already writing, 
I would have probably cried. <laughs> like, I just didn't have enough time in my day for all that. <laughs> On top of your five jobs. On top of my five jobs. Oh, God, that was a fun time in my life. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to take a short commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss ATRs, which is a cool topic, with trap traditions, magical schools, and magical lodges. So we'll be back in a moment. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com daily bonuses are waiting no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, welcome back. Alrighty, guys. So with understanding uh, different types of magical traditions, I think it's important to understand that just because a certain practice practices magic, it doesn't necessarily equate it to witchcraft. I think when we equate everything that is associated with magic to witchcraft is a type of cultural erasure. You're not bringing, you're not understanding the things that kind of brought up those those practices. So when we talk about like ATRs, um, African traditional religions, and the diaspora of traditions that have developed out of that. More specifically, I'm talking about like Hoodoo and Santeria and uh, the Voodoo and, you know, Espiritismo and Kimbanda, you know, these practices that were essentially, you know, developed out of the diaspora of people who were forced out of Africa and brought into these other cultures. And so there's a kind of like these mixtures of the native um, folk practices of the people that were already there the usually not always but usually the catholic influence of the people who brought these people there and then also the uh traditional practices of people who were brought over from africa to these plethora of locations as they were you know spread about the spread all about the world and while there's a lot of pain and trauma that is tied into the history of these things some beautiful you know, cultures and traditions have developed over the years. Um, I know a lot of people, a lot of people tend to, you know, look down on these, these practices, you know, when we think about voodoo and, you know, we think about pop culture and, and how voodoo is portrayed in a lot of these, a lot of media and Santeria as well. You know, they're, they're always the, the evil person or the, the bad one that's like putting a hex on you and cursing your family and, you know, that's just how they view those practices. I mean, look at American Horror Story Coven, where yeah. they had the witches versus 
the people involved in voodoo and the voodoo people were seen as bad. Uh, I mean, not completely because there was like the backstory of Marie Laveau, but that was, of course, you know, the fictionized thing for TV in the sense of like how they portrayed everything. But yeah, I mean, voodoo in popular media, it's usually seen as like, you know, the dark magic. (laughs) Like witchcraft is like not seen as dark. And I'm like, oh, that's yeah, okay. That's, That's not the greatest way to view this, but all right. Okay. Thanks, Hollywood. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and this kind of was one of the things that kind of led me to wanting to explore and talk more about that, um, as I did on my podcast with uh, Lilith Thorsey, where we talked about voodoo. But yeah, that's kind of what brought me into wanting to talk about more about voodoo and learn a little bit more about it, because there was this kind of cultural misunderstanding of what voodoo is. And so on my podcast, I brought on, there's a, an author, a very prevalent author right now, uh, her name is Lilith Thorsey, and uh, we did an episode on my podcast just talking about voodoo and, and the misunderstandings and, you know, me having, being Hispanic, having this understanding of not a deep understanding of Santeria, but, you know, I was kind of grown up around it. And so we did kind of have those, I guess, mutual things that are, there are connections based on the origins of these traditions. They're definitely separate. See, you grew up in the fun side of Hispanic. <laughs> you had you had that that version of religion my version of hispanic you know when i was growing up was we were the catholic hispanics who were involved in the catholic church <laughs> so you know there's two different types of hispanics there you got the the more entertaining one and i got the the hateful catholic one i don't know if it'd be entertaining i i, I think I, I was like 10 when i saw my aunt like spider walk down some stairs we were having some possession thing. It was just a possession party that we were having. I would I would say that's the more entertaining version of growing up Hispanic versus the growing up Hispanic that I did. I guess I was terrified. I don't know. <laughs> you um, you were you were Hispanic and I was Hispanic and neither uh, neither of us were his piece. <laughs> Sorry, this is a joke that we say for our <laughs> because we're both Spanish. <laughs> it will be his piece. Never. One day we'll be his piece. <laughs> we don't know who him is, but we'll never be his piece. Okay. Um, anyway, sorry, keep going. <laughs> but yeah, you know, these uh, diaspora of traditions that have kind of grown and have been viewed negatively in most of pop culture and, and media. I guess me, like I said, having grown up adjacent to kind of some of these practices. And, you know, I remember going again, being at that party that I was horrified at, at one point, I do, I do remember going downstairs to where my uh, my grandmother's essentially ritual room was and watching my cousins and and some other uh, people involved in, in her practice and they were just drumming and just like essentially just vibing it out. And it was also one of the most beautiful things. Well, I was also terrified probably like five minutes prior to that. And then seeing this, it was it's kind of like just this beautiful aspect to it that I think a lot of people don't really see. And yeah, there's a little bit about um, ATRs. Uh, if you do want to learn more about them, there are a plethora of other of ones. So it one of the things that I did want to specify again is, you know, these traditions are aren't necessarily witchcraft. And, you know, while we both mentioned that our families is both of our families are very Catholic in nature and rooted in nature. Um, these practice, a lot of these practices and practitioners of these practices kind of view themselves to be the same. You know, they are Christian or they are Catholic. Um, a voodoo is just, or voodoo or santeria is just an aspect of how they choose to 
incorporate that aspect of their religion. So then I know that there are a lot of Santeros and, and, and Vudan that vehemently are against witchcraft and they, they don't hundred percent do not view it as being the same thing. And I want to say that's might be a little bit more of an older mindset. I think now things are kind of changing a little bit more. You know, I've had definitely had my own experiences going into botanicas and not knowing anybody there, but still because those stores like that are so heavily involved and ingrained in what the people like uh, like Santeros are doing in these stores, you know, they tie everything, their their traditions and their practices tie tied into a lot of things that they sell in the store. A lot of times they have altars to specific um, orishas or saints in the store. And there's it's so rooted in that culture that when this kind of understanding of how witchcraft is separate from that, you know, me going into stores like that, there are a lot of times where like I don't feel like immediately the second I step in, I don't feel welcome. Same. I yeah. definitely had that experience too, where I just walked in and I just felt so uneasy, which sucks because they have really cheap supplies. <laughs> like they have really great prices, but not for you. Yeah, no, it's it's to the point where I mean, the first time I went into one of those stores, I didn't I didn't know anything about this, and I didn't even want to touch anything because I just felt so unwelcome. And it's not that the shopkeeper was like being mean to me or anything; like they were fine, but it I just felt like I needed to leave. <laughs> it was not a great situation. Yeah, because I mean, and it's it's I feel at least from my experience, I feel like it's definitely tied into the the practices of those people that are there. Because I did when I was living in Miami, my high priestess was friends with the local owner of the of the botanica shop, and there was kind of this understanding that I guess that they had with each other that we would go there, and that was the only botanica I've ever been to that I never felt anything like heavy or like looming over me or watching me the entire time or feeling like I'm being choked. Um, that was the only place, and I kind of felt like you know. I know these witches. These witches are good. They're good people. <laughs> we don't have to fuck with them. Um, that's kind of what it felt like. And I've gotten botanicas since then. And it, there's still an uneasy feeling in most of them. Um, because the spirits, because you, again, you have to think about the history. You have to think about the um, the protectiveness of the necessity from these spirits. So aside from ATRs, uh, just to kind of, I guess, go through these a little bit, you know, there are definitely other a plethora of magical practices that are more ceremonial in nature. Um, like Aleister Crowley was a very prevalent um, occultist in the 1900s. And so we have the OTO and a part a tradition that he was kind of brought up in um, being the Golden Dawn is still active today. And there are still magical lodges, which you can go and learn and, and participate in today. And there's a lot, of, again, like I said before, there's a lot more of a ceremonial aspect to it. There's, um, I know with the OTO, there is this uh, Gnosticism that's kind of ingrained into the practice of, you know, understanding how the gods work and going about it that route. I know there's a lot of Egyptian underlying elements to it as well with the, with the OTO. I don't know terribly too much about the Golden Dawn, aside from it's just extremely ceremonial in the way that they, they practice a lot of things. And it's a lot of focused on Christian occultology. I don't know if that's a word, but. Yeah, and if you're interested in the OTO, they do have a website. It's oto-usa.org, so oto-usa.org. And I'll probably end up putting in the bio all of the different things that we've talked about today and any associated websites that we have mentioned, um, just so you can read a little bit more about it. 
So aside from those magical lodges, there are aspects of ways to practice that don't necessarily involve lodges like that that are as structured how they are. There's a lot of online magical schools that you can attend that do. There are a lot of like authors and practitioners that offer these kinds of trainings. And we did kind of talk about this a little bit already. I know I've talked about it on my podcast before. Uh, I believe we talked about it in the last episode a little bit. And, you know, there's Coria, which I've mentioned multiple times. If you're interested in types of uh, ceremonial magic, definitely check that out. It's a free resource done by Gen- um, Josephine McCarthy and Frater Acker and a couple of other magicians. And definitely go check that out. And I believe it's just Coria, Q-U-A-R-I-A. Uh, I believe it's just Coria.com. And so, yeah, check that out. Um, there's also Jason Miller. He has a plethora of courses on his website. There's the Hecate one that me and Ashley had definitely been thinking about going through as it sounds amazing. And I've heard really good things. Uh, there's also the Blackthorn School. Um, I've heard a lot of good things about that. Jack Grail, who did the Hecate on, which we've talked about before. He has some classes about Hecate on there and a few other, there's a few other courses done by other people. The one that I would say, where I would put the most amount of caution on is Witch School, um, which is tried, which is tied to the Karelian tradition. It is a at first it's a free resource for you to kind of get your bearings and and have you know do some quizzes. But I would be very careful with the types of groups leading forward to that. For I don't know if we mentioned this before, but at least in BTW practice, at least in BTW practice, we do not charge for training. And while I may have a negative view on this, there are some of these courses that do obviously charge, but Karelian tradition of, or the witch school is kind of one of those things where like, once you get to a certain point, you do have to pay to get initiated, to move forward. And I've heard a lot of not so great things um, about uh, some of the practices that have been done and manipulation tactics that have been done through... (laughs) these do those resources so definitely be careful if you do if you're planning on checking out that now we're going to take one more break and when we return we'll discuss the different witchcraft traditions it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All guys. Welcome back. We talked a little bit about a lot of traditions about uh, Wicca related to Wicca. Now we kind of want to talk about a little bit more along the lines of kind of this understanding of, you know, not every, just because it's witchcraft doesn't necessarily equate it to Wicca. And, you know, I mentioned before on when I mentioned uh, Eric was a practitioner of traditional witchcraft. Now, what exactly is traditional witchcraft? There's definitely a lot of similarities in how things were practiced. You know, we made that joke earlier about, you know, the Gardnerian name and how that kind of came about. 
uh, for Robert Cochran. Robert Cochran was kind of the main people in kind of the beginnings of this whole witchcraft explosion that happened in the mid-1900s when he kind of developed his own thing. Now, while there are, I personally view that there are a little bit of sim- too many similarities between Cochran's craft and what we did, there is also a fundamental difference in how we go about these practices and how our understandings of the gods that we work with and the traditions in which we continue to practice. And traditional witchcraft definitely is a lot more focused on, at least in my viewpoint and understanding, Wicca tends to be a little bit more goddess-centered and goddess-focused, and traditional witchcraft is a lot more focused on the god and the aspects of nature. Now, I think there can be definitely, depending on your personality, depending on what you gear more towards, can you know each one can benefit you in either way. The aspects of traditional witchcraft that I really enjoy is the focus on nature and the environment around you, the area, the, the area that you're in specifically focusing on connecting with those spirits, you know, not just centering your craft around, you know, just this one space in your living room or in this separate bedroom that you have, you know, it's actually going outside, going into the nature, going into uh, the forests that are around you and interacting with the spirits of the land. That's definitely been one of the things that I found to be most helpful in my own practice especially, you know, moving from, I've moved so many times over the past like 10 years that it's ridiculous. And having that kind of understanding has definitely helped me gain an appreciation for each place that I move and and an appreciation for the spirits of the areas that I move. These are things that I've learned about from traditional witchcraft. And aside from that aspect of magic, there's also, you know, eclectic practices. And while I may personally not have a very great viewpoint on eclectic practices, they... It is then it is you know work for a lot of people you know pulling from different sources pulling and I think it's important to also honor the foundations of where these sources that you're pulling from you know don't just say oh I want to do this ritual but it involves I don't know the Christian gods let me just substitute Thor because I work with Thor and you're not you're I feel like you you tend to completely misunderstand the foundations of both so when you can have eclectic practices, but I think it's important to also understand the origins of things and how to work within those different spaces. Yeah, it's it's also important. I don't necessarily have the same view of the sense of not liking eclectic groups. I think eclectic groups can be fine. I think that there's definitely eclectic groups out there that are very successful in what they do and they mm-hmm. have a good foundation. Things like Assembly of the Sacred Wheel. They are a group where they have covens all over the East Coast and from what I've heard, they do pretty great things. Okay, so one of the ones I want to talk about is Reclaiming. Uh, they do have a website called reclaimingcollective.wordpress.com. If there's another website, sorry, that's just the one I happen to find. <laughs> so Reclaiming, I've actually been to a Reclaiming Open Ritual before, and it was really interesting. Uh, a little bit about this is that they are a goddess movement with feminism, political, social, environmental, and economic activism at the forefront. And this was founded by Starhawk. So Starhawk wrote The Spiral Dance. Uh, that's a book you may have heard about in the past. I have a copy of it. I haven't read it yet, but I do have one. Uh, it was also founded by Diane Baker as well. Rituals are based off of an acronym that stands for Aesthetic, Improvisational, Ensemble, Inspired, and Organic. And some tr- reclaiming traditions use cells, quote unquote, that self-organize using principles of consensus. Uh, what this kind of means is that 
Reclaiming witches will teach themselves rather than having a hierarchy that they kind of look to. And reclaiming can involve music or chants and rituals. Actually, a lot of their uh, rituals I've heard have chants involved. They also use a principle of unity statement to reflect their core values. And they're very welcoming of all people. The reclaiming ritual that I went to that was public was, it was really cool. So they did a whole thing where they acknowledged the land and the tribe that had um, presided over that land back before it was what it was currently. This was in a city. So (laughs) Um, it, it was cool. They had a whole offering for that and the ancestors. They have a circle where they just kind of tried pulling people in from the outskirts of the circle to like just start singing and dancing and chanting and saying these words. So it was very interactive. It was very free flowing, kind of organic in a way. But yeah, it was cool. I know that they have some sort of retreat type thing that they do. Um, I forgot what it's called. It's something with like a flower thing. But uh, they get together and they learn from each other at these gatherings. And um, yeah, that's a little bit about reclaiming. Now, another tradition that is pretty common around certain areas of the United States, mostly, I don't think it's it's pretty common in other places, is uh, BFC, which would be the Black Forest Clan done by Silver, or started by Silver Raven Wolf. I'm sure you've heard of Silver Raven Wolf many times, especially if you grew up being a witch in the early 90s and early 2000s, or the late 90s, early 2000s. You know, she definitely wrote a lot of books and I'm guilty of having one of her books when I first when I first started uh, getting into this. So yeah, she has a uh, the Black Forest Clan. That if you want to go check that out, it's the Black Forest Seekers and Facebook group. Another tradition we wanted to talk about was the Black Rose, which is not necessarily a tradition. It is uh, kind of one of those online training um, things that you can join. It charges about twenty five dollars a month for membership. Um, I believe this is the one that's done by Devin Hunter and Matt Aron. Uh, and I believe Chaz Bogan and their other partners involved in it as well. It's the modernwitchuniversity.com slash Black Rose Witchcraft. Uh, so definitely check that out if you're interested in more learning about them, if you do enjoy their books and, and the auto resources that they put out. And uh, aside from that, there is the Temple of Witchcraft, which is a tradition where you can go meet up and do trainings with them, um, done by Christopher Penzak. Uh, he also has a lot of books put out called the Inner Temple of Witchcraft series. I believe there's also the Outer Temple of Witchcraft series. I know I may be misremembering that, but those are definitely books that were really helpful for me uh, when I was learning solitarily and had to figure all this shit out by myself. Uh, it's a great resource. So definitely check those books out and the website templeofwitchcraft.org. When I was actually in Miami, there was another group that I learned about from the eclectic group that I was in, uh, where the my the high priest and priestess of that group were part of something called the Fairy Seership. Um, that's done something done by Orion Foxwood. He also has a couple of books um, out, and I've read a couple of them, and they're actually really good. It's kind of this understanding of look, looking more into the fairy realm, and, and it's not so as love and light. A lot of it, it's a little bit more on the traditional witchcraft side of how you how they view things. Um, so it's really interesting. So I definitely check that out. That's it. you can check that out as orionfoxwood.com, and um, definitely check out his books as as well. They're they're really good. The Speaking of fairy, there's also the very prevalent, the fairy tradition started by um, Der Anderson and his wife. So if you want to check more, learn more about that, there's the Anderson fairy dot, or Anderson-fairy.org. And this is fairy spelled F-A-E-R-Y. Uh, there is some variations 
to how they spell the word fairy kind of to differentiate the different types of fairy that they're talking about. And there's also a Seekers Fairy group, or sorry, Google group. Uh, so definitely check that out if you're interested more into learning about that aspect of understanding the fae from a witchcraft mindset. Yeah, and that one is called Seekers of Fairy. That's just on their website. They say to look into that. All right, so now that we have just gone through this giant list of different things that you can look into tradition-wise, uh, I guess one of the big things we should mention is Mandragora Magica is the website that you can use to find a group and where you will probably see things like this listed. I did have an episode with Sai. If you were interested and want to know more about the website in general, it's literally just called Mand- Mandragora Magica. So hmm. that came out very recently. It came out actually, the, I believe, the episode before this one. So definitely check that one out. If you are seeking a coven or tradition or anything and aren't sure about the tradition or what it's even about, feel free to post it in Witches Seeking Witchcraft. Both Zazel and myself are admins on the page. And if one of us don't answer, I know we have a lot of people in the group who are very helpful and knowledgeable who would probably be more than happy to give you some suggestions based on what you find. With all of this said, we kind of touched upon this, but I just want to say that coven work isn't for everyone and that's okay. And not every tradition is for everyone. Some people work better in a solitary practice and that's fine. And with that note, just because you're in a coven doesn't mean that you don't have your own solitary practice as well. I definitely have my own solitary work that I do outside of my coven. And I think pretty much everybody I know that is the case for. One thing to keep in mind as well is if you're looking for a coven, it's so important to find your right fit. Two covens within the same tradition may be the same at its core of what they're teaching, but the leadership, personality, and teaching style of the person running it is going to likely be very different from the other group that you're training with. Sometimes they're the same, especially if both covens kind of get along really well with each other, but you know, not every coven has the same views. Not every coven leader has the same views and that can be reflected in their teaching. So don't necessarily write off a the whole tradition if you have one bad coven experience, if you do have another coven that you could potentially look into training with as well. I would say one advice to give um, for anybody who is seeking out covens and coven work or just seeking in general, um, you know, understanding the ego and and being mindful of this, not only the ego of the people that you are seeking to be training, um, but also the ego of the self. We've, I know we've definitely got on uh, a few emails where it's, there's a lot of a need to, um, what's the best way to put this? Um, I guess try to impress people. And I think it's a lot more important to be humble in the way that, in the things that you've learned, the things that you know, and to kind of accept that, you know, there are going to be things that you don't know. And, I would also view that to, you know, your coven leaders as well. There are going to be, like, they don't know it. We are not experts in every single little thing. Um, and so to kind of give some, I would say, some leeway in, you know, if you there is things that you want to learn, I would bring it up to them or bring it to the people that you may be interviewing with or people that, mentors that you may have. And you can kind of be geared in the right direction of things that you can learn. So yeah, I would say just, you know, be humble in the way that you seek and be mindful of, you know, that you don't have to impress everybody with your knowledge. It's just, we're all seeking, we're all learning and we're all just trying to help each other out. 
Yeah, and not only that, but, you know, when you send out these emails to coven leaders and if they ask things like, well, what can you contribute to the group? You know, I it's really important to just think in a practical, mundane sense as well. I've heard of coven leaders who will get emails that will say, oh, well, I'll bring my amazing psychic skills and I can speak to the dead and, and I could do all this stuff. And I mean, you know, sometimes some of that can be has to be taken with a grain of salt. But sometimes just sending an email saying, listen, I know how to bake and I'll bring you fresh muffins every circle or I'm really good at being on time or I'm really good Mm -hmm. at at working on spreadsheets or like planning events or I am happy to clean up after, you know, we meet or come early if you need any help setting things up. You know, little things like that go a really long way. (laughs) And I think sometimes people forget about that. I know I certainly didn't think about that when I sent a secret email. I was just thinking so high level of the sense of, you know, the magical things and, you know, spirituality. I wasn't thinking about, you know, if I were to email somebody and tell them like, listen, I'll bring you some muffins because I like to bake and I'll help you clean up. Like (laughs) people really like things like that. And sometimes like if that's all that you can quote unquote offer to a group, that's fine. And people love that. So yeah, whenever you send these emails out, just think on a grounded level as well about yourself when you're telling them about yourself. It doesn't always have to be about your magical side 100% of the time. It could just be a little bit about, you know, the practical things. And, you know, I think just staying grounded and being kind to the people that you speak with will get you a really long way in the mm-hmm. craft. Yeah, that's my advice. <laughs> Not saying you have to bring muffins to circle, but, you know, nobody nobody is sad when you bring food. Yeah, I'm kind of want to yeah, no, I kind of want to. I want like a pumpkin chocolate chip muffin. I want a caramel. A caramel muffin? That's a thing. Salted mm-hmm. caramel. We used to sell them at Starbucks. They were delicious. Huh. All right. Well, we're starting to talk about muffins now. So I think it's about time <laughs> to close up the episode. All right. Well, so that is it for today. Thank you again to the sponsors of this episode, HelloFresh and Uncommon Goods. And thank you to my amazing working partner, Azazel, for doing the witchcraft things with me and coming on to talk about other witchcraft things. Witchcraft is our life. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me on again. And I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. And again, if you guys have any questions, further questions from the episode, definitely feel free to post it on Witches Seeking Witchcraft. And if people wanted to get in contact with you, how could they find you on social media or find your podcast? I, again, we, as I mentioned, I run the Feast of Torches podcast, which you can find on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, or whatever that's called. I'm also on Instagram, just at Azazel, A-Z-A-I-Z-A-L-L. There's also a Feast of Torches um, Instagram as well, which I update not very frequently this year, just because it's been very busy with uh, coven stuff and being a coven leader is not is not simple it's not a cakewalk so i apologize if there are listeners out there that do like my show but um i definitely plan on continuing it at some point once i get a little bit more settled in the coven leader life then yeah we are also setting up a new book for my book club for my patreon um not sure exactly which book we haven't picked one out yet but if you're definitely interested definitely check that out Awesome. We are also doing a new book club for my Patreon. While we're on this topic, we're going to be reading Six Ways by Aiden Watcher. And I'm Ooh. super excited. That's going to start in the beginning Love of December 2023. Yeah, it's a it's a great book. I'm super, super, super excited to read this. I think everyone's going to really like it. And the cool thing about this book is that it's not Wicca focused. It's <laughs> witchcraft focused. And I'm excited. Anyway, yes, I do have a Patreon where we're reading this book in our Discord. It's uh, patreon.com slash seekingwitchcraft. You can also find me on social media at Twitter at Seek Witchcraft, Instagram at Seeking Witchcraft. If you see any other account that is not at Seeking Witchcraft or 
at Seek Witchcraft because I took that one as a backup. They're probably a scammer. Please report them. Please. <laughs> I have impersonator accounts. I will not DM you asking for your birth time and to read your chart. Please, please DM, please reward them. Um, I am also on Facebook at Seeking Witchcraft Podcast. And as Azazel mentioned, we have a, or, and I mentioned, uh, we have a um, Facebook group called Which is Seeking Witchcraft, which are for listeners of podcast. And we'll, you know, we have a cute little community in there. People are really helpful and kind. So feel free to join that group. Please answer the questions. Otherwise we will decline your entry. <laughs> we have to do that, which is never fun. But yeah, so thank you again so much Azazel for coming on. And thank you everybody for listening. And I hope you have a whole rest or a nice rest of whenever, whatever time of day you were listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye everyone. Bye.